0: So, nice to have you both here. Perhaps we can start with you, Ed. What is a, an AE in simple terms, and what sort of debt instruments can be amended in this way?
1: So, an, a, an amend and extend or an AE is a consensual agreement that amends and extends a credit or financing agreement. So, the term gets used across private debt, syndicated loans, and corporate bonds. In all cases, creditors agree to extend repayment or maturity. The amend part of AE refers to the fact that AEs typically amend covenants, uh, margin or coupon, as well as to tweak the borrower's group structure.
0: Okay, so when are AEs used and what are the reasons for or what are the main reasons for debtors proposing them? And then of course creditors consenting to them.
2: Yeah, so AEs sort of fill a gap in the liability management toolkit. Um Owners and borrowers are not undertaking a full-scale refinancing, usually because they can't do so on terms they want. So, for example, they can't reprice the debt downwards, or they can't do the dividend recap they had hoped to, or the debt markets just aren't there for whatever reason. So AEs can be very useful tools when a business is facing a shorter medium-term maturity problem, but the refinancing market isn't really open for that borrower, either because the market isn't open generally, as is sort of the case right now, um, or there's an issue with the borrower or its capital structure that is viewed as fixable, but makes refinancing a challenge in the near term. Um, so, an AE is often seen as a bridge to a refinancing um, or restructuring. And you tend to see AEs most with senior debt, which is in the money uh, or thereabouts, and which doesn't expect to be impaired in a future refinancing or restructuring. Um, uh, but AEs can also happen near the maturity of, of core term debt when it's in a fulcrum position. And those are the more involved negotiations. People can be looking for some time at whether owners uh, and sponsors are going to recapitalize their borrower to, to shore it up.
0: Okay, so what are the specific reasons why owners and borrowers might push towards an a and
2: um, Repricing is an obvious driver. If sponsors think they can lock in pricing that suits them and won't be able to do better in the near term through a full refi, uh, as I mentioned previously, a can also be a very useful maturity management tool in the absence of the ability to fully refinance a capital structure. Uh, I think we'll see an uptick in maturity driven AEs if the debt markets don't come back to normal in, in early 2023. Um, and in addition, there can be other reasons. Owners and, and borrowers may want to maintain the current relationship they've built with their creditors. They're content with the leverage in the structure. Um, and there isn't an ability to replace the existing financing uh, more cheaply in, in current market conditions. Um, and so even in current markets, sponsors will end up locking in higher pricing, but they get certainty without, you know, giving up too much control or, or any equity to their creditors. Um, and in fact, there are some AEs where sponsors will also put in some new money, usually a fairly modest amount. Um, but that is to sort of uh, get lenders across the line um, and uh, show that the sponsor continues to stand behind the business. Obviously, you know, those situations are very case by case.
0: Okay, thanks. And of course, on the credit side, perhaps we can go to you, Ed, on this. How does a creditor see an A&E as a good deal?
1: Uh, so uh, a lot of the same reasons, really. Um, relationship reasons can uh, can play a part, but From a pure credit perspective, as I mentioned before, if there's a limited or low risk of any adverse credit event in the near term, then a positive repricing to prevailing market conditions is credit positive. Other reasons too, though, um, certain creditors may have a very limited interest in um, permitting any form of debt haircut or driving towards a debt for equity swap. Um, remember that AE is usually happening because the borrower can't refinance the creditors. When debt is priced at distressed levels, this naturally leads to creditors thinking about a restructuring. But if that's just not of interest to creditors, an AE sort of becomes a, a, a halfway house or least bad alternative.
0: Okay, and what what sort of situations leads to people exploring alternative solutions?
1: Right, so in the buoyant market and uh, in a performing business, a refinancing can be a good way for the sponsor to extract further value, lower interest burden or introduce more leverage into a structure. But as now where market conditions aren't so borrower friendly or the borrower isn't performing so well, the creditor base often, but not always, changes. Um, original or par creditors tend to trade out and the community of secondary debt investors trades in. The dynamics that lead to an A&E can fall away uh, through that simple shift in the creditor base, largely because a lot of the secondary investors are not averse to restructurings and can actively pursue loan-to-own transactions. Um, how this is going to play out in the new generation of loan documents with very stringent transfer restrictions really ma- remains to be seen.
2: Yeah, and the borrower and, and the sponsor in those situations need to work harder to retain control. So the incentives to reaching a consensual AE in that context are, are going to involve consent fees, Usually, significant covenant resets, um, tightening of uh, various undertakings, and um, adjusting or almost preparing the capital structure to be amenable to a to a future um, enforcement uh, by by lenders down the road if things don't work out.
0: Okay, thanks. So, when is an A and E the right thing to do for the parties involved, and when is it the wrong thing?
1: Huh. Um. That's a tough question, particularly to a lawyer, um, largely because it's hard to say from whose perspective to judge rightness and wrongness of an a when the parties have clearly agreed to do it. So from a strict legal sense, it's always right. Um, but if you look at it from a purist or economic perspective, uh, perennially trapping capital in an underperforming business is inefficient. It's economically efficient because it causes labor and capital to produce too little reward. Um you have to balance this, though, um, against the impact of jobs, economic impact of creditors, not to mention sponsors, from suffering heavy losses. Um so, from an economic viewpoint, the AE is wrong if the premise of it. Is an unrealistic hope of market conditions or borrower performance turning around. And you sometimes hear the expression amend and pretend used. And this is what that's getting at. But there is a broader balance there.
0: Okay, so it sounds like an A and E can cover a lot of scenarios, and some can be quite simple. When's an A and E cross the line and become a restructuring?
2: Yeah, so the the glib answer is that uh, an A&E um, stops being an A&E when it's not just an A&E. Um, going back a step, uh, we tend to think of financial restructuring as um, a transaction in which financial debt is affected by some form of haircut and or equitization. Um, and of course, the restating of debt is also central to an A&E, but it happens in most restructurings, if not all restructurings, too. Um, so you can get bogged down in, in the jargon and um, uh, the, the fine distinctions, but a complex A&E and a light-touch restructuring cross over, um, and there are definitely deals that have been badged A&E for optical purposes that, in substance, are in fact mini-balance sheet restructurings.
1: And, and I'll plug Reorg here, who extensively covered two deals, which sort of Crossover between an A and E and a restructuring um, from this year that I might might mention briefly. First is Hilding Anders, which is the Swedish-based mattress manufacturer with most of its assets in Russia. So the business got hit very hard by Russians arising from the, pardon me, by sanctions arising from the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, A very heavy lender base. Um, of CLOs in its 510 million euro term loan, which was trading in the 40s and reaching maturity in November 2024. So an awful lot to balance. But the central credit question is for how long Russia-related sanctions will affect the business, on which there's a lot of uncertainty. The solution was um, to restate 300 million euro of debt push out maturity to February 2026, and to shift the balance of the term loan into a new PIC facility issued by the holding company and maturing a year later. The split of the term loan into two tranches had a few effects, including limiting over collateralization, which protects some key clo born considerations, as well as allowing the sponsor to retain its 100% equity position. And that deal achieved unanimous lender consent. Uh, second, I'll mention Higher Real Estate, a Spanish NPL servicer. It was approaching maturity for its 470 million euro senior secured notes. The notes were trading at a significant discount to par. So neither a refinancing nor a straight AE were going to be possible. The dynamic also saw a CLO heavy note holder base. So the major feature of the deal the parties came to reach was to partially repay the notes through a cash sweep. Then they restated the notes at par with a three-year maturity extension and to make some changes to the issuing structure. Bondholders also managed to negotiate 27.5% of the equity in the group. This one didn't achieve unanimous consent among note holders. And so the English scheme of arrangement got used as the implementation tool.
0: Okay, thanks, Ed. So I can see sponsors keeping hold of all of the equity in the case of Helding Anders and 72.5% of the equity in the case of payer real estate in those transactions. So they sound like quite, well, very soft restructurings. and neither involved any debt haircut at all. That's quite novel.
1: Yeah, I mean, and as we said, it, it it's not a straight A&E at all either. At their core, the deals are no debt haircut and extending maturities. Um, they were really novel solutions to, at the time, uh, really difficult problems. Okay, thanks, Ed. So
0: to wrap up and looking forward, how do we expect A&Es to be used in the next few quarters?
2: Well, until earlier this year, um, interest rates and, and yields were extremely low. Uh, it was difficult for credit investors to deploy capital at attractive yields against good credits. Um, as a result of macro factors this year, that market dynamic has totally shifted. Um, borrowers are finding it difficult to borrow. Um, as we've seen in Europe, the high yield and syndicated loan markets have been pretty rocky, meaning that refinancing you know, large cap structures in particular um, is hard. Um, And direct lenders can afford to be choosy in this environment. Um, And that leaves us today with a lot of mispriced deals and a number of borrowers facing potential maturity issues in the next year or two. And then, of course, you get into worries over going concerns, sign off, etc. So if sponsors can push out maturities and reprice them with margin uplifts, they can keep equity positions further into the future uh, in the expectation that the current uncertain market conditions will improve. Uh, so that leads us to think that we'll be in an A and E heavy market for the next few quarters. Uh, borrowers and sponsors will be pitching to existing creditors heavily about their capacity to turn things around, projecting you know improved earnings as inflation trends downward, uh, despite a rising interest rate environment, um, which may or may not rise much further from today. Um, and we wouldn't expect credit investors to want to prematurely realize losses if they have a positive macro outlook or indeed a positive outlook on that particular credit. So if the margin and coupon uplift discussions can make the A&E credit positive, then an A&E is going to be a popular liability management exercise, whether done consensually or using implementation tools like uh, English schemes of arrangement or restructuring plans. Thank you both for your time.